Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Equipping You Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And with me today is our friend and brother in Christ, Jonathan Gibson. Jonathan, welcome back to the Equipping You Grace podcast, brother. Good to be back with you, Dave. Yeah, it's good to have you as always. Can you, uh, you know, it's it's been maybe a couple months now. Can you catch up on what's been happening in your life, marriage, ministry, and what are you working on ministry project-wise? Uh, it's been a busy semester uh, teaching at Westminster Theological Seminary, which I love to do. I taught a new class on hermeneutics this year, so I was diving into dispensationalism and covenantalism, which was interesting. Took me back to my dispensational roots. Um, and I had two international trips, both in a week, one to Cairo to teach some pastors from different parts of the Middle East. And uh, and then a few days later, we headed off to Seoul, Korea, and spoke at a conference there for pastors. Uh, so it's been a busy time. Jackie had her book, uh, You Are Still a Mother, released. Um, and uh, that's been busy for her doing podcasts and things like that as the books got out there. Uh, so it's been a busy semester for both of us. And we're looking forward to Christmas where we can lie low here in the States. Yeah, yeah. Her book is also really good. It was. Uh, I know. I know you were. You're personally committed to that as well because you guys have. It shares a little bit about your story and and those things. So it was. It was really good. So it's good to good to hear that you're traveling and staying busy, brother. So, but yeah, would you, yeah. Would you Would you tell us about this this new book, Oh Sacred Head, Now Wounded: A Liturgy for Daily Worship from, and I might get this wrong, Pascha to Pentecost. Did I get that right? Yeah, from Pascha to Pentecost. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Why? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why you wrote it and how you hope it'll be received? Well, uh, for those listeners who are familiar with "Be Thou My Vision," uh, liturgy for daily worship. Uh, this is the third in that series. Uh, the second is "O Come, O Come, Emmanuel," a liturgy uh, for the season from Advent to Epiphany, and uh, obviously because I did one for Christmas, I thought let's do one for Easter. And uh, so that's what I did. I've put it together. It's um, 42 days, so a bit different to the Epiphany, uh, Advent to Epiphany one, which is 40 days. This is 42 days, so it's six weeks of meditation uh, leading up to Good Friday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Resurrection Sunday. And then I've also included... Um, Ascension Sunday and Pentecost Sunday, because the gospel doesn't end with the resurrection. Um, ascension, Christ's ascension into heaven is part of the gospel, and so is his giving of the Spirit at Pentecost. And so that's why I've incorporated those two uh, holy days of observance uh, into this liturgy. Uh, it's the same format as uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's got a meditation at the beginning and then the same order of elements. Um, I called it Pascha, partly because I was going to Pentecost and I thought the P and P would be a nice alliteration. Being a preacher, I like alliteration. 
Uh, but also the Pascha comes from um, the Passover and it sort of captures what Easter is really about. Easter as a term is more a pagan term. And uh, I wanted something more Christian, something more biblical. So hence why I went for Pascha. So I'm trying to retrieve the language of Pascha, that we might talk about Pascha more than Easter, uh, around Easter. That makes good sense. Is there going to be another one or is this the last one or what are you, what are you <clears throat> thinking? Uh, I have a desire uh, to write, Lord willing, a, a fourth one. I don't know the title yet, but uh, I'd like to do 31 days for seasons of sorrow. So have something a bit more reflective, meditative on times of grief and sorrow and hardship and trouble in our life. Uh, make it a bit more concentrated in the Psalms and um, probably still have the meditation at the beginning, a quote from someone in church history who's suffered or, or, or made a comment on how we should suffer well as Christians. Um, so that's the plan. We'll, we'll see. I'm floating the idea with Crossway at the moment. We'll see if it comes to anything. I'm on sabbatical in the spring and uh, I'm hoping to put it together during then. So maybe in 2025, there might be another one. That sounds good. That's, that would be really, really helpful. These are, these are really good and helpful, uh, helpful devotionals. So my wife and I have gone through, we'll go through this one, um, after, after O Come, O Come Emmanuel. So, uh, really enjoying that one. Um, it's really good. So these are, these are really helpful, brother. Uh, what, good. what are the, of course, of course. Uh, what are the elements of each daily liturgy in O Sacred Head Now Wounded, and, and how did you choose them? So same as O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, um, starts with a meditation from someone in church history. Uh, for O Come, it was a meditation on the, intern, uh, on the incarnation. Uh, for this one, it's a meditation on Christ's life and work and his passion, really focusing on his death and resurrection. So it's a sentence or a few words, a few sentences, a paragraph of uh, someone in church history who said something quite profound in a succinct way. And so that's the meditation. And then the order is called to worship, alternating Old and New Testament texts. Uh, adoration, a hymn of adoration. So I've chosen hymns or psalms, but hymns from church history that connect with the life and redeeming work of Christ. Uh, the reading of the law, seven different readings for each day of the week. Confession of sin, um, similar to um, Be Thou My Vision, but I've added in different confessions of sin because altogether this is 48 days of worship. So there's some new confessions of sin. Then the assurance of pardon, alternating verses from Old and New Testament. A creed, Apostles, Nicene or Athanasian Creed in three parts. And then a praise element, the Gloria Patri, three versions, or the doxology, two versions, which alternate every week. So you get one version for one week, and then the next week is a different version of the Gloria Patri or the doxology. Catechism questions on our need of redemption and Christ's work of redemption. Then scripture readings, uh, they begin with um, Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Um, basically that promise of forgiveness for our sins. And then it goes back to Genesis 3 and the fall into sin 
and then some Old Testament passages before coming to Christ's uh, temptations in the wilderness, which is really where he enters that period of intense suffering on our behalf as he um, goes to war with the serpent, the ancient serpent, the devil. And uh, and then the readings follow basically his life through the Gospels. I mainly use Luke and Matthew and uh, all the way up to Holy Week, the week before Easter, before Pascha. And then the readings are Lamentations, chapter 1 to 5, one chapter per day, which is a tradition in the church calendar to read Lamentations in the lead up to Easter. And then the gospel passion narratives of his temptation, his um, Last Supper, his trial before the Sanhedrin, um, his trial before Pilate, and then the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection, and then Ascension passages, and then Pentecost passages from Acts. So those are the Bible readings. Um, and I have a prayer of reflection in response to the Bible reading. And this can be some ancient things that have been used in church liturgy, like the Benedictus or the Sanctus, and then um, some uh, old hymns, some verses from old hymns by Robert Grant and James Montgomery, uh, Saviour when in dust to thee, and go to dark Gethsemane. Those are two hymns that have a number of verses that really give a verse on each main phase of Christ's life. And so throughout the week, I put in this prayer of reflection after each scripture reading as we reflect on Christ's life and death and resurrection for us. And then prayers of intercession. There's about 50 prayers of intercession for the 48 days and then it closes with the Lord's Prayer and a benediction. And then the postlude from Psalm 72, uh, 17 to 19. So for those familiar with Be Thou My Vision and even more so O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, the order of worship will be very much the same. But the content of the meditations, the call, the worships, the adoration hymns, the intercessory prayers, they're all new. That's great, brother. Again, these are this is uh, all of these are just so well done. They're well thought of. They're well thought out, I should say, and they're just they're just really good. I mean, every time I every time we go through it, I'm just like, wow, the amount of work that you that you put into this is is remarkable. And it it takes um it takes us about fifteen twenty minutes, you know, I think to go to go through this, and that's going pretty fast. So. You know, if you're going to do this, it takes about, you know, 30, 30 minutes a day, you know, to go through every single one of these, you know, from the beginning to the end. And, you know, if, if you throw in some prayer time in there, that's that's probably you're probably looking at like 30, 40 minutes. You know, I think it would be a reasonable mm. amount of time. You think do you think that's about what you like what you envisioned or uh, I for me, I can do them in about 20 to 25 minutes, sometimes 30 if it's a bit of a longer reading passage. But I kept it to one chapter of scripture reading. And um, obviously, it depends on your prayer life, how much you pray for each day. Um, some people will use different days of the week to pray for different things. And so the personal prayer element in it for private devotion, private petitions is um, maybe doesn't have to be as long as uh, as it needs to be. 
Uh, but yeah, I'd, I'd say a good 20, 25 minutes it can be done. But it's surprising, actually, you said 15 to 20 minutes there. And I actually think that's true. If you read um, you know, all of it and read the scripture reading, I think you can do it in about 15 to 20 minutes, depending on how long the scripture reading is for that particular day. Uh, and then you add five minutes of prayer in or 10 minutes of prayer. So you're at 25, 30 minutes. And at first, you know, it's a bit of a shock to the system, maybe for some. It was for me to begin with. But what I've learned is it, it it's a part of the day now that I really don't want to miss. And because I, it's, you know, each day is marked, I, I want to, I don't want to miss the scripture reading of that day. And so it's helping me be more disciplined in my quiet times. And um, I'm finding it more meaty and meaningful. And therefore, actually, the time isn't no longer, it's not really an issue anymore. I'm prepared to give it the 20, 25 minutes. And, you know, we, we all get our notifications at the end of the week on our phones, our smartphones, how many hours we spent per day on our phone. And if you just think about what that calculation is compared to 20 to 30 minutes to spend time with the Lord in prayer and praying scripture and reading scripture and hearing from him, it really is nothing compared to the time we're wasting on our phones. Hey, hey. There's no turning up the heat here just because she got back from pulpit supply. You know, she's Louise, man. Oh, man. I'm just kidding. No, that's that's good stuff, man. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Mm. Why, why do you think that uh, – why do you think it is that observances around Easter are often perfunctory rather than purposeful, as you put it? Um, I mean, perhaps it's a cultural thing. You know, Christmas – has the whole Santa Claus thing. And so it's it's a commercially bigger deal in the West, sadly, in one sense. Uh, and yet I suppose that's to our advantage. It really spotlights Christmas as a time to remember and give gifts in reflection of God's great gift to us in his son, the Lord Jesus. Um, whereas Easter doesn't really carry that um, marketing um, concentration in our culture, uh, not pe people don't really buy um, presents at that time to give to others. And there is the Easter bunny, there is the chocolate. So there is some kind of uh, commercial element to the season, but it's just not as big as Christmas. And so I think that's maybe just one reason why it's just not as much on our calendars, which is a shame because then that means we've been led by our secular culture and not by the Christian uh, worldview or calendar or the Bible. Um, and so, yeah, for me growing up, um, Christmas, uh, sorry, um, Easter had more connotations of chocolate than it did of Christ. We, we didn't have any family traditions growing up. There were no presents exchanged. We didn't get together with uh, relatives around Easter. It, we, you know, we celebrated Good Friday at our church. We celebrated Easter Sunday, but that that was about it. It came and went without much thought. Uh, but if you think about the incarnation being the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then his death, resurrection, ascension, and Pentecost being the, the climax, then it's really quite sad that we maybe don't spend more time meditating and thinking about Easter and the meaning that it is that it has and carries for us Christians. 
Yeah, I, I, I think you're onto something because, you know, there's just not very many books that I that I can recall that really talk about the resurrection. Hmm. Which is kind of like, wait a minute, what about first have we forgot first Corinthians fifteen hmm. or Bibles? You know? I mean, we know that there's a lot of debate um, or there has been in the history of the church about the atonement and, you know, penal substitutionary atonement, but where's the talk about the resurrection? You know, it's like. Yeah, and, and even the burial. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, what is the significance of the burial? Uh, Paul in First Corinthians speaks about the things of first importance, and he died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. He was buried according to the scriptures. Uh, so the burial of Christ is hugely significant. But again, do we give much thought to it on the Saturday between Good Friday and Easter Sunday? No. And so, you know, it's, I've been more reflective of it that um, recalling and remembering the burial of Christ is showing and testifying to us how significant his death was, that he really did die and he lay dead for three days, a Friday night, a Saturday and a Sunday morning before he rose. And uh, that that itself was predicted by the prophets. Uh, Psalm 16, where David speaks about his body going into the grave uh, and not seeing corruption. This was all prophesied by David in the Old Testament. Yeah, just just to that, that's really good. I mean, one can hardly read, for example, Romans without seeing the death and resurrection, you know, combined together. Mm. So, yeah. you know. It's, yeah, and when like, we... Go Sorry, ahead. go ahead. No, no, go ahead. You first. Well, just, you know, you know, uh, Paul says, I, I sought to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. And we tend to think, you know, he thinks the, res the crucifixion is more important in the resurrect than the resurrection it's more primary but that's just shorthand for paul for paul christ crucified and raised are they go together and sometimes he can speak about one or the other but he always means both you know amen brother amen so how, how can we benefit from and be blessed by the rich historical traditions of the church in the season leading up to holy week well i think we can look back and see how christians have observed this period of time in the church calendar in a normal year. Uh, traditionally, going right back to the early church, Christians have had a time of concentrated reflection on the life of Christ, uh, his teaching, his ministry, and ultimately his death, resurrection, ascension, and the gift of his spirit. And so I think we can learn from people in church history and right from early church fathers through to the reformers, even through to, you know, Baptist evangelists like Spurgeon. They all had sermons, books, theses, treaties written on some of these key aspects of Christ's redeeming work. And I think it's great to retrieve those aspects and um, use them for edification in our present day. Yeah, that's really good. Is there a particular figure from church history that you especially appreciate as you wrote this book? Hmm. Uh, I always find Augustine stirs the affections of the heart. Um, Calvin always has great theological insights and sort of a forensic analysis of some aspect of Christ's redeeming work. But 
I find Augustine sort of stirs my heart um, to long for God, to desire him as the fountain of all beauty, truth, and goodness, and uh, the one that I should run after, you know, like Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water, so pants my soul for the living God. And so I find the early church fathers, people like Augustine, they speak in a way that really stirs the heart and the emotions and the affections for God. Um, yeah, so so that's someone whose meditations I always find really helpful. He, he has a beautiful meditation in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that I used, man's maker was made man, uh, that the fountain of water should thirst, that um, the foundation should be hung on a cross, that life should die. He does all these contrasts and it just captures beautifully the mystery of the incarnation. In this book, I have a lovely meditation from Augustine where he speaks about how Christ being hung on the cross and his riven side being pierced and flowing blood and water flowing out from his side. It was like Adam in the garden where his side was riven and from his side came his bride and he makes the parallel between the first Adam and the second Adam, both going into a deep sleep. And from each of their riven sides comes their bride. And so he sees the typology in the first Adam to the second Adam. And uh, so I think there's things like that that um, I've captured with Augustine that have been very helpful. So I've always found him probably one of the most stimulating. Yeah, that's, that's a really thoughtful answer, brother. You say that the enduring hope for us as Christians is not the immortality of our souls, but the resurrection of our bodies. What do you mean by that? Well, the words were spoken at my daughter's graveside when we buried her, Ian Hamilton, the minister at Cambridge Presbyterian, where I served as associate minister, took her funeral, and those were the opening words at her graveside service. The enduring hope of the Christian faith is not the immortality of the soul, but the resurrection of the body. And I think as Christians, we can tend to think that when we die or a loved one dies, you know, that's it over. We're with Christ, which Paul says in Philippians is far better. Uh, but when people would say to my wife after Layla died, you know, we're so sorry, we're so sorry Layla died, but she's with Christ, which is far better. Jackie would reply, it is far better, but it's not yet best. And what she meant was, Layla, Layla's body is decaying in the grave, and the hope that we have for her is the resurrection of her body on the last day, and that is when her salvation will be complete. She's safe now in soul with Christ, but it's the intermediate state. It's, it's between the now and the not yet. And uh, she is in the inner presence of God. She sees him face to face. She's enjoying the worship of heaven with the church triumphant and the angelic host above. Uh, and yet she doesn't have a body that's resurrected and glorified yet. And so uh, the hope of the Christian faith is not just to get to heaven as a spirit, as a disembodied soul, 
the hope of the Christian faith is to get to a new heavens and a new earth with an embodied soul and an, and a body that is incorruptible and imperishable that will live forever and never die again. And so I mentioned that at the beginning in my acknowledgments that I, you know, that I hope this book will um, remind Jackie and I, but also everyone who reads it, that the hope of the Christian faith is not the immortality of the soul, but the resurrection of the body. Uh, it's there in the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed. We believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. And uh, we don't just believe that when you die, you go to heaven. We do believe that, but that's only half the story. We, uh, we believe that when you die, you go to heaven, but one day Jesus is coming again. And at that point, our soul will be reunited with a resurrected body and we will become one again in body and soul and live forever in the presence of Christ, who is himself a resurrected man. So it's it's a fundamental part of the gospel. And I'm trying to recover some of that with some of these reflections in the book. Yeah, that's really good. And and I and I really we had Ed Welsh come on. I'm I'm sure you know you your mm -hmm. colleagues with Ed and he 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 encouraged our listeners to really enter into that enter into with people when they're, you know, going through a loss like you guys experienced. And I think I think even those kind of comments that you mentioned, I think it kind of misses the opportunity to really enter into somebody and to bear their burdens. And, it, mm. it, you know, I, I think we just miss that opportunity. It's not a, that's not an accusation because a lot of people just, they don't know how to do it. You know, mm -hmm. they've never been taught or they've never had it modeled, you know, and, 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 or they've never really experienced a significant loss. And so, so we're not like, I'm not throwing stones at anybody. I'm not saying, you know, anything like that. I'm just saying, you know, it misses an opportunity when you, when, when you, uh, like when you experience something very tragic, um, like you and Jackie have, it misses an opportunity to show real compassion and care and to do what Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says. And so, um, you know, that's what Ed was, Ed, Ed was encouraging our mm -hmm. listeners to, to really enter in, to ask questions and enter into that story with, with that person that they're going through, enter into their pain. How, do, how does that really feel? Um, how, how, you know, I'm so sorry to hear that. And so, mm. so I, I think that, that I just wanted to bring that up because I think that not only is it the theological consideration, but it's also a practical one. And it, it is, you know, both of those, obviously we believe, you know, what the doctrine fuels the, the practical. Um, mm. So, so I just wanted to mention that too. So. Yeah, it's, um, <clears throat> it's like first Corinthians 15, um, when the trumpet sounds and the dead are raised, then shall come to pass the saying that is said, uh, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Uh, where, O oh, death, is your sting? Um, uh, it's, it's the when, then. Only at the last trumpet will that saying of where, O oh, death, is your victory, where, O oh, grave, is your sting. Only then will that become true. That that is not true right now because for those of us who have lost loved ones, death still stings and there's still a grave to go visit and take care of. And that stings. And, um, and so, yeah, we mustn't have a over-realized eschatology when we're giving counsel to people in the midst of grief. And we find the people who just 
came and sat with us in our grief and cried with us and said they were praying for us rather than trying to make comments to us to try and bring us out of the grief too early. Uh, we find those people more helpful than those who are maybe trying to quote certain scriptures to us um, to try and move us along in our grief quicker than we were ready to be moved along. Yeah, that's a, that's a good word, brother. How does how does liturgy aid in resisting our human tendency to forget? Well, uh, we are forgetful people. I talk about this in the introduction. Uh, we forget because we choose to forget. Uh, I think it's part of our sinful nature going all the way back from Adam who forgot the commandment as he took an et from the tree, uh, all the way through the Old Testament. God often says to his people, you forgot me, you forsook me, you did not remember the Lord your God. And uh, so that's what we're like as human beings. We tend to forget. And in the Old Testament, God had ways to remind his people. He had memorial stones set down in the land to remind them. He had festivals established in their calendar to remind them at certain points in the year what he'd done for them in the Passover, in the tabernacle of booths, in the feast of first fruits and Pentecost and things like this. Uh, so he knows we're a forgetful people. He puts memorials in our cyclic, in the cycle of our lives to help us remember. And liturgy. It plays a big part of that. Liturgy is part of that cycle. And so liturgy, having a set liturgy every week in your church service or every day in your quiet time, it serves as a sort of good guardrail to keep us from forgetting. And then the content, you know, if you're saying the Lord's Prayer every day, you're being reminded every day that God provides for your daily bread. Um, if you're saying, reading the law every day, a different version, the Ten Commandments or Jesus's two great commandments in the New Testament. You're being reminded by what the law is that you ought to obey. If you're hearing an assurance of pardon every day, you're being reminded that you're a sinner, yet God forgives you. And so that idea of repetition, rhythm and repetition in liturgy, I think is so helpful because we are a forgetful people, but liturgy helps us to remember. Yeah, that's really good. You know, there's there's always a lot that to to talk about with all these all these topics, you know. And really we've only scratched the surface. Can you give us a few takeaways as we end our conversation today, brother? Uh yeah, just you know, it's good to spend time with the Lord. We all struggle to do it. I struggle to do it. I still miss days when I should be reading and praying. Uh, but having something as a guide can be helpful. For some people, it'll be another form of daily quiet time material that they'll find helpful. And so that's great. Uh, this is just another option out there for people. Uh, I hope it's a helpful one. Um, and uh, the key thing is trying to maybe diversify our quiet times rather than just re uh, say a quick prayer for God to speak to us, read our Bibles, and then list the petitions to him. What I'm trying to do with this liturgy is diversify our prayer life into adoration, confession, prayer for illumination, intercession, the Lord's Prayer. So five different kinds of prayer in the time that you spend with the Lord. And then different Bible readings. There's the chapter that you read each day, but 
throughout, there's the call to worship, there's the assurance of pardon, uh, there's biblical language in the confession of sin. So throughout the day's liturgy, you're being fed with the word of God. And so I think that's hopefully a helpful way to let the word of God dwell in us richly um, as we seek to walk closely with the Lord. Yeah, that's really good. Well, guys, we've been talking today with my friend and our brother in Christ, Jonathan Gibson, about his book, O Sacred Head, Now Wounded, a Liturgy for Daily Worship from Pascha to Pentecost. It's a, it's a really good book. And uh, if you like the other two, you're going to love this one. Um, looking forward to, Lord willing, the, the next one in the series, brother, and your future projects. Thank you for, again, coming on, Equipping Your Grace, and for your continued faithfulness to the Word. Thanks for having me, Dave. Always good to speak with you. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.